Welcome to the best kept secret video cast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity and host of the Best Kept Secret podcast. I am so pleased today to welcome one of the best people that I know in the sales arena, Wesleyan Greer. Wesleyan, thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. So Wesleyan is the founder and CEO of Transform Sales, where she coaches and consults to transform underperforming sales managers into confident sales leaders with an objective to get more repeatable sales. I think that's something we could all align on. And she is based in Houston, Texas. So Wesleyan, let me get right to it. You know, one of the big issues that everybody is having in this economy, but I think it's a particular challenge to those in sales leadership positions, is hiring and recruiting. When you look at that issue, what are you seeing that so many sales managers are getting wrong? So many sales managers are so focused on having somebody who has industry experience that they completely forget about the need for sales skills. And they think that that person that has industry experience there, and I like to call them industry insider, they were going to are going to come and bring their book of business with them. But what really happens is they bring all their baggage, all of their bad habits, all of the things that they did at their previous company, and they're so unwilling to change. So when you as a company institute a new process or system, they don't follow along. And you as a business owner, as a sales manager, will find that that book of business that was promised to you, it doesn't exist. And it's really not that good because the business doesn't follow them. They didn't actually love the salesperson. They just liked the company or the product that they sold. You know, Wesleyan, earlier in my career, I was a partner in a large consulting firm and I had a great client base. Uh, people that would always pick up the phone and talk to me whenever I called. And then along with a colleague, we went off and did a startup, which was focused on selling to those same executives. And I was shocked at the change between how they used to pick up the phone when I was with company X. And now that I was with new company, they really couldn't be bothered. And what an eye-opening experience. And you find that that is more common than not common. Absolutely. That happens more often than not, just because, again, yes, you do build the rapport and the relationship. But once a company is embedded and they're doing business, they're in the purchasing system, they've been with that company for five or 10 years, the cost of change is so high that they're like, yeah, I liked you. Let's go play golf. But that's it. I'm not going to give you any business. Uh, When you're bringing on new people, of course, you know, your point is not only aren't you bringing on necessarily the book of business they used to have, you're also hiring their habits, some of which might be good, some of which not so good. So given the challenges, how should a sales manager be thinking 
about the hiring process. If your product is really as good as you claim it to be, if it's as good as you tell all of the customers and everyone out there, then you should be able to teach the product knowledge to a strong salesperson. Hire somebody who has strong sales skills, sales DNA, not the industry knowledge, because again, you can teach them that. You built this product, you know this product, so you should be able to teach them everything they need to know about the tech technical aspects of the product, but those strong sales skills, that sales DNA, that's something that is very, very hard to teach. And I think, Wesley, you bring up another excellent point that I think is often overlooked by not so much the sales executive, but the people that are running the company like the CEO, which is, I have got a mediocre product and service. So rather than fix that, I just hire great salespeople and they'll convince everybody to buy what is truly mediocre. So give give me a little bit more on that challenge. And is that a reasonable expectation for a CEO to have? You know, you're going to open up a whole another can of worms here today, (laughs) because if you really do have a mediocre product, And a lot of times what happens is you have these, it's more so the mediocre salespeople that can't sell your product, right? And so what happens is instead of saying, hey, let's get better salespeople, you go and start re-engineering or retooling or redoing the product and you don't really realize that the salesperson is the one that's mediocre. They're not picking up the phone and calling people. They're not qualifying right. They're not, I mean, they're not doing so many things things. And again, as a CEO, you think that let's go re-engineer our product or let's go hire more salespeople. But no, the salespeople that you have, you need to upskill them and up-level them because you've already invested something in them. And so to go and rehire and add more people to the sales force, the cost of that is much, much more than just getting the people that you have and leveling them all up. So that sort of leads to, I think, what the next obvious question is, at least for me, which is if we do what you're saying and you bring in great salespeople, not necessarily people that have sold in your particular uh, industry or vertical, what benefits from making that shift in thinking do you find that companies are able to achieve? I actually want to start with a story here. I worked with a company and at that company, we hired two salespeople at the same time. We hired an industry insider and then we hired somebody who literally came from insurance sales, right? And if you know anything about insurance sales, you know that they're typically 100% commissioned. So the sales manager I was working with, he thought that the industry insider with 10 years of experience was going to outperform the insurance sales rep. But what we found was the insurance sales rep sales rep had stronger sales DNA and he was hungry and he knew how to go prospect new for new business. So within six months, that person was at the top of the sales leaderboard because again, they had strong sales skills. So someone who has strong sales skills will outperform that veteran, that industry insider any single day because the strong sales skills are do a few things for you. They allow you to hunt for business, that you know how to nurture a relationship, you know how to handle objections, and you know how to close. Whereas the industry insider and the veteran, all they know how to do really is build relationships. That's all they know how to do. They know how to work on their charm. They know how to say, okay, let's go hunting or let's go to dinner, but they really don't know how to sell. 
And that's the problem. They don't know how to sell. And I think in today's age, executives are so busy on the client side that to go in and say, hey, let's just build a relationship and then we can talk about adding value later. You have to really lead with the value you can bring to your customers. Absolutely. You start there. Um, Another little scenario I like to to use is if you're selling based on relationship, uh, think about your cousin or your friend that's selling the multi-level marketing stuff. You love them, right? They're your friend. They're your family. So of course you love that relationship. But when they ask you to buy, you say no thank you with a smile, right? Whereas the person who maybe you don't like them, but they come to you and they say, hey, you can buy this Tesla or this expensive car for $10,000. And they tell you all the reasons why you're going to be like, I don't care if I like you or not. Here's $10,000. Give me the car done. Right. And that's the difference between strong sales skills and relationship selling. And you, you, you raise such a, a great point. That's such a misconception out there, which is we're always hearing that sales is based on no like, and trust. And yes, I have to know you. Yes. I have to trust you, but like you, that depends on whether I want to hang out with you or not has nothing to do with doing business. Instead, I want to understand what is the value proposition? How does it help me achieve my objectives? And do I trust you and your organization to deliver? And if I like you, we'll have dinner. If I don't, I'll say, thanks for helping. All the best. Um, so, uh, very, very insightful there, Wesley. All right. So you've made, I think, an incredibly compelling case that you need to really shift your thinking on how any sales manager needs to hire the salespeople underneath. Go away from the experience in a particular vertical or a particular um, client uh, target market, and instead look for people who really have that skills and knowledge. So that's awesome, but then I'm sitting here saying, well, how do I do that? So how would you tell a, a prospective client, Wesley, what steps do they need to take? I'm gonna turn everything that you know about hiring salespeople, I'm just gonna turn it completely upside down. So the first thing that I'm gonna tell you is don't look at the resumes. So as soon as people apply, what we wanna do is we wanna look at their resumes and we wanna say, oh, they've done this or they've done that or they have this experience. Don't do that. What you should do is start with a sales specific assessment. So every single person that applies for that position, you send them an assessment. Don't even look at their resume, send them the assessment. And with a sales specific assessment that gives you the person's sales DNA, that it will tell you this person is good. They have the sales DNA. Then you look at their resume. And again, when we're using assessments, they shouldn't be behavioral based. They shouldn't be personality based because again, behaviors, personalities, those things don't equivocate to sales. Just because you're a dominant person, doesn't mean that you're going to be able to go out there and ask questions and knock down doors. So again, number one is a sales specific assessment and give it to everyone and then use that assessment to determine whose resume you'll look at. And then when you do bring those people into interview, make them present something to you. Don't make them present anything about your company. They don't know anything about your company. Ask them to prepare a five minute presentation on a topic they are passionate about. And you will find out so much in that five to seven minutes that they're presenting. 
You'll see how tenacious they are. You'll see what they're passionate about. You'll see their preparation skills, their delivery skills, because again, those are the things that are important in sales. Being able to present to a room full of people that you don't know about something that you're passionate about. So I would say those are the three things that are important to find that top-notch salesperson. Wow. Those are some real pearls of wisdom that we would all be well advised to adopt. Well, now, Westlene, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. And uh, I think everyone wants to know, who are you and uh, what is your story? So let me start with, in addition to hiring, and I know that you're, you, know, you're, you work with sales managers, turn them into sales leaders. You've got a particular focus in STEM. Um, science, technology, engineering, manufacturing. Tell me what are the pain points, what are the issues that you tend to help uh, sales leaders in the STEM verticals? So one of the biggest issues that I, I help them with is when they're not hitting quota, right? And so when you're not hitting quota, there are so many different things that you that could be the problem. It could be hiring, which we talked all about, but also it's your sales team, building your sales team up. So I work with sales leaders and business owners, and we essentially take everybody on your team and we allow them, help them, empower them to achieve their quota every single month. And so we work through the seven step sales leadership blueprint to uplevel everyone on the team. And along with that sales leadership blueprint, I'm working with the manager, right? Because an underperforming sales team is a direct reflection of an underperforming sales manager. So once the sales manager realizes that at least 50% of their time should be spent coaching the people on their team and not in the weeds, that's how you build an organization that you're hitting your revenue targets each and every month. And then also, since I am a chemist by trade, um, I have a very process-oriented brain. And so because of that, I work with a lot of companies on their sales process. And so what a sales process is, it is an actionable thing. And in that, it is literally a framework, a roadmap for that superstar salesperson that we just hired. So they actually actually know how to perform, how to come in and get to the top 50% of the leaderboard in the first six months. One of the reasons that uh, I've always liked Wesleyan is her background as a chemist, because I'm an old chemical engineer. So I couldn't quite get into the chemistry to the incredible level that a chemist does, but just enough that I could work with them and try to translate what they did into a real manufacturing process. So Yay, better things through better living, as my old employer used to say. Okay, Wesleyan, uh, you've really impressed, but I want to get a little bit better idea. There are a lot of people out there that do sales coaching, sales training. Uh, what distinguishes you from all the rest? One thing that I really like to um, hang my hat on is the fact that I have worked as a chemist in the lab I worked as an individual contributor. I was that salesperson who was sent to Germany for two weeks to train on product knowledge and then sent home and said, go sell. I'm like, what do you mean go sell? And literally within my first year of sales, when I was a baby sales rep, what I call myself, I turned a territory that had only produced $50,000 into a half a million dollar generating territory with no tools, with nothing. And I went all the way up to becoming an international sales manager where I was able to help equip everyone on my team to really hit quota. So 
the thing that really distinguishes me is I've walked a mile in your shoes. I've been the salesperson who had no clue. I've been the sales manager who was like, I was a really good salesperson, but what about these 10 people? Like, they're not like me. They're not listening to me. What am I supposed to do? And I had to figure it out. And because I figured out how as a new sales manager, as a struggling sales manager, to take my team to excellence, that's what I incorporate into my practice every single day. Outstanding. And that, that leads me to my uh, last real question uh, for you today, was seen as you gave us a good idea of how a bench chemist got into sales. But what we, and by the way, I encourage everyone, connect with Wesleyne on LinkedIn. You get a sense of her resume. But I want to understand what were the, if you will, milestone events professionally, personally, that got you from doing sales for this chemical company uh, to running your own sales coaching and consulting firm? So there was a, a point in my career where I literally traveled for four weeks straight. I was in California. I was in New York. I was in Scotland. I was in London. I mean, literally all over the world. And at the end of the four weeks, I had a board meeting. And at that board meeting, I had to present what the team did for the entire year and let them know, hey, this is what we've done. And this, these are our goals for the next year. And after I presented, they said, that's all you've done. That's it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm so done with this. <laughs> I was like, I'm so done with this. I spent... I think at that point in the year, I'd spend probably a hundred nights in a hotel. I'd flown like a hundred thousand. I mean, it was crazy what I've done. And so at that point I said, you know what? I, I don't want to do this anymore. I really want to be able to do what I love. And what I loved was mentoring and coaching and working alongside sales managers and sales teams and really helping to empower them and have that light bulb turn off. And what I didn't love was sitting in board meetings and getting beat over the head and told to go hit more. Okay. We're increasing the quota 20%, 50%, like all I was so done with that. So that's why a couple of years ago, I started my own business because I realized right then and there and literally two weeks to the date in that meeting, I was like, okay, I've started my business. Well, Wesleyan, what a great story um, and walking the mile in somebody's shoes. Empathy and understanding is so critical to working with others. And you certainly have that in spades. And I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners who are struggling with the types of sales issues that you've talked about today. So what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Um, the best way to reach out to me is LinkedIn. And in the connection request, just let me know that you heard me on the Best Kept Secret podcast. So I know where to make that connection. Super. And we will put uh, Wesleyan's LinkedIn uh, link into our show notes. So make it really easy for everybody to reach out. Now, Wesleyan, before we say goodbye, I, I really hate to do this as they say, sorry, not sorry. I'm going to put you on the spot. I love the listeners and I am all about adding value to listeners. And you certainly added tremendous value through the content and perspective that you provided, but I want a little bit more. So could you possibly give a gift to any listener that reaches out to you through LinkedIn and tells you that they heard about you through the podcast. Yes, absolutely. I have a checklist. I call it my P3. So it's people, 
plus process equals profit. And what that does for you as a sales manager, as a business owner, it gives you the framework to hire the right people, build the process internally that leads to your profitability. So again, you reach out to me on LinkedIn, say, I heard you on this podcast. Please send me the free gift. Fabulous, Wesley. You have been wonderful. You have really taught me a lot. And I'm sure taught everybody who's listening a lot about how to think about sales and how it's probably not how many of us have historically thought you need to sell. So thank you so much for coming. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time, let's all make it happen. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 1 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media, or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI and any of those things leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more.